NXT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. And what we're focusing on in this episode is this issue of drugs and hip-hop. Are we on a hip-hop high in the culture? Are all the lyrics about drugs making it seem okay, especially to teenagers who, who are just starting out, who are in that whole experimental phase of their life? Are there more drugs on the streets now than we've seen in a minute? Different types of drugs cocaine, heroin, which has been around forever, but with the addition of all these pills now that people are getting and can just buy at the corner store behind the counter, on the streets, friends handing them to them, you know, what's going on with that? We're going to get into that with our guests in just a moment, but first we want to extend our condolences to the family of 33-year-old NYPD officer Randolph Holder. May he rest in peace. He was shot and killed going after a shooter and trying to break up a wild shootout that was happening in East Harlem. This was his choice. This was his career, according to his family. He was put his life on the line to protect those residents of East Harlem as the shootout was occurring. And uh, our condolences go out to him and his family members, and, and we salute the officers who act bravely like that when they know there's trouble and danger that could be ignored, but yet they're going out there because they know those bullets could unfortunately hit an innocent person. As we saw in Hempstead, Long Island, just in the last week or so with 12-year-old Deja Joyner, our condolences go out to her family as well. This little middle school girl, this beautiful child, sitting on her couch in her own living room when a bullet from a gang shootout at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, that stray bullet goes right through the window of her house into her head. She's sitting on the couch. She's in a place where she's supposed to be safe, this beautiful little girl, and our condolences go out to her. If you have any information, the uh, police and the community have come together. They're offering a $75,000 reward for information about this case. You can call 1-800-244-TIPS. It really is an anonymous call. I know people are skeptical about that, but it really is an anonymous call. There's a reward because there, there's a strong feeling in the community and among many, many people who just hate to see senseless violence that whoever was responsible for this, they really need to pay for this crime to take this little girl's life. So some, some very sad cases in the last, last week or two. And our condolences out, go out to the family. And we will continue to talk about this issue of gun violence on our streets, illegal gun violence. And we'll continue with Push for Peace, Push the Number 4 Peace. And please use that hashtag as much as possible, Push the Number 4 peace and we'll continue with those efforts right now that we're going to switch our focus to the whole drug issue which in some ways is tied into that gun that gun violence not necessarily in those cases but we're seeing more and more drugs on the streets we're seeing them in music videos we're seeing them in lyrics um hearing them and uh it just seems to be all over the place so our question is are we becoming desensitized to it has it become totally commonplace now and people are just like yeah breaking off a little half pill here there get a little bit more of a of a buzz or whatever when they're drinking partying it's just another thing to put into the uh into their bodies when they're partying but it's not always you know safe it's dangerous most of the time it's illegal and a lot of times it can lead to addiction and that's what we're going to be talking about with our guests right now joining us in studio is Torre. he's you know him as a rap artist he's the host of Sirius XM's tour guide on hip-hop nation love that channel thank you and he's also the new official voice 
of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, shout out to the Nets. Brooklyn, what's up? Yeah, Brooklyn. Thank you so much for being with Thank us. Thank you we for having me, it. Lisa. Also with us is Steve DeGrossa. Did I say your name right? Yes, you did. Okay. Now, Steve was a pill, cocaine, and heroin addict for almost half his life from the ages of 14 to 30. And now he's been clean for four years. And he's going to talk with us about what this was really like and, you know, the unglamorous side of this and just, you know, what somebody goes through when they encounter these substances. Steve, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Torreo, let me start with you. In, ter- in terms of the hip-hop, are we just seeing more more hit songs? I mean, I, we were making a list of the artists, you know, right. Team Lisa here, Lil Wayne, Future, Travis Scott, 2 Chains, even The Weeknd. Right. It, it, it goes on and on. And it's, um, like you said, I feel like the the general consensus is it's just a cool thing. It's just a kind of, you know, oh, yeah, we pop pills or we do this or we do that. It's all right. It's okay. Because it's so commonplace in the music. When people hear it, it's almost like they are desensitized. Like, it doesn't even, you're not really dissecting that. You're using and abusing drugs, you know, and that's not, that's not cool. I don't understand when drug use and music, like overt drug use, became cool. Now, some people say, well, you know, it's always been around in hip hop. You go back to Melly Mel, you know, back in the days with the founding fathers of hip hop right. and White Lines, which was kind of, you know, could be interpreted more as a warning. Mm-hmm. The Chronic, you know, which they saw as saving people from crack by getting them to smoke, <laughs> smoke weed. weed instead. <laughs> to <laughs> Less smoke, of two evils, I guess. To smoke weed instead. And then it just goes, you know, and then all the Molly songs that were out a couple years ago. Right. It's just like we seem to be going through these phases. But is it is it just me or is it really seems to be more songs right now? Like think, more hit songs? I think if you listen to what's happening on the radio, um, the majority of the records do reference drug usage. Um, you know, Future had one of his biggest records out, you know, uh, Dirty Sprite 2. And, you know, even though cough medicine is over the counter, when you abuse it, you know, we've seen what it's done to people um, from Big Mo to Pimp C to so many different people who've been on this syrup and, and have passed away from it. Um, and then, of course, the pill popping. You know, people talk about popping pills like it's just thing to do. I'm smoking a cigarette. I'm drinking water. I'm popping a molly. And it's crazy to me. Like it's a Tic Tac. Right. And it's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's this dangerous. I mean, people don't talk about the effects of this drug uses, the, the the long-term effects. People aren't talking about how it's affecting lives because they make it seem like it's a cool thing to do, it's a social thing to do. And, and you know, but if you don't give the people the, what the consequences are, you know, you're only giving them half the story. And being that so much of the music is geared towards the youth, you know, I feel like you're setting them up for this failure. And, and these are the kids who are supposed to guide us in the future. So, you know, if, we, if we're going to have a bunch of pill poppers and dope heads, you know, running the country and, you know, like you just alluded to the police officer who lost his life. Um, you know, we can't have kids who dope addicts that on the force. You know, so what are we what are we putting out there for the country for the for the world as far as what's going to happen? You know, when these kids become adults. No, definitely, Steve. You were fourteen when you f- had your first encounter with drugs. Yeah, I started I started smoking weed about 13, 14 years old, and that just progressed from there um, into pills, into cocaine, heroin. Um, I was at my worst probably about ten years ago, in between twenty and twenty. 2930 is when I really got bad with heroin and uh, and cocaine. Now tell us about your your first time with marijuana. Um it, it actually stems from I was I was getting bullied in, in grammar school. Um I was a little overweight, kids were picking on me and I wanted to kind of fit in with the cool crowd and I was at a birthday party and the kids were smoking weed and they kind of were picking on me cuz I wasn't. 
So I just decided at that point that I was going to outsmoke everybody and I uh, started smoking weed every day just so I could be accepted. And I didn't want them to have one up on me kind of thing. It was like, if, if I don't smoke weed, you guys are going to make fun of me. So I'm just going to outsmoke you. And now I'm, I'm one ahead of you. So that's how it started. It just started from that insecurity. I just want to be accepted. But you're, 13, you're, you're like 13 years old. Yeah. So you're living at home, right? Yep. And then you're going to school or you're playing hooky or? No, I was going to school. I mean, in grammar school, I went to a Catholic school. So leaving school and, you know, skipping school wasn't even an option. But I was smoking weed after school um, at night, uh, getting together with friends. I was hanging out with some of the older kids from the neighborhood. And they were getting me weed. That's how I got it from, you know, at 13 years old, you don't really know where to actually purchase the drugs. And where were um, you getting the money from to buy it? I mean, at 13, because uh, you can't work. You, you get your allowance. You know, you tell right. your mom you're going out with some friends. You're going to watch a movie. You get 10, 15 bucks. You know, at that point, you know buy a bag of weed for $5, you can buy a pack of cigarettes for $2 at that point, you know, when I was uh, smoking. So, you know, it wasn't that hard to get 10 bucks from my parents to make that happen. And then nobody in your house noticed that? I think m my parents started noticing it probably, I would say, maybe five years in when they started, when I started using the harder drugs and money started disappearing, um, things in the house started disappearing. I started like robbing my parents, stealing from my sister and stuff like that. That's obviously when they started realizing it. Um, but as an addict, you get really good at, um, having people think that you're all right. Like, and making excuses, <laughs> yeah, right? I've made excuses. I was the best liar, BS artist you can, I mean, I can convince anybody anything. But what about, so So, how do you make the transition for, uh, and, and there, there are many people that smoke marijuana throughout their whole life. Yeah. We're not condoning it or anything like that, but there are many people who smoke regularly for a long time yeah. and never go on to anything harder, just like there's people that drink alcohol and don't go on to anything you know, else besides that. But what made you go from, from weed to the harder stuff. I think with with any kind of drug, it's kind of a, it's a culture within a culture. So if if you're smoking weed, you're around people who are using other kinds of drugs. Um, if you're going to meet up with a pot dealer, chances are him or one of his friends is selling something else. So it's very accessible to you when you're in that culture. It's just like anything else. If you're if you're in something, you can have access to everything that's attached to it. So it was very easy for me to cross over. And it was just a friend that had an older brother, and it was it went from. Uh, from some weed to us going out to a teen night club in Queens and uh, somebody, somebody's older brother offered us a pill of ecstasy and we split a pill of ecstasy. I was 14 and it was the greatest thing in my life. I thought at that moment it was amazing and that just, I was like, I'm going to do this every weekend and I started taking pills every weekend and then finding out that, you know, I have accessible to cocaine. It's just a build up to it. Just like with anything else, it just starts from A and it just works its way up. You don't even realize it's happening. But do, do you think the drug, the people who are trying to educate about the dangers of drugs, do you think that they need to tell people like, yeah, that high is really amazing, but you're going to pay, pay, you may end up paying with your life for it? Absolutely. I, I'm, because you, I'm, it's like, I mean, people do drugs because they, they like the way they yeah. feel high, right? They, they like the way it feels. It's an escape from reality. You know, you have a lot of hurting people that are taking drugs in the world today. Um, and I, I do believe that because I'm, I'm very quick to tell people, yeah, absolutely. If you get high, that's going to feel great because I'm not going to tell you it's not. And then you're going to find out that I lied to you when you decide to use it. Right. Um, so that whole rule and regulation and that, uh, you know, iron fist approach doesn't work. It didn't work for me. My parents were old school Italian and my father had an iron fist. Smoking cigarettes was unacceptable. Like he, this is the way he was. But it didn't work for me because I realized that he was lying to me. Like drugs are awesome at that point. That's what I thought. Right. But nobody taught me the ins and outs of it. Yeah, it could be fun, but this is what can. But happen. you're paying a real price for yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. When when that goes on, Terrain, in, in terms of the music culture, though, the the whole drug use too, like the creative process, the you know some of the concerts, some of the events. It's just ingrained almost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I was coming up, Method Man and Red Man were the biggest things. And that's why I tried weed. 
you know, that's why I experimented. I was like, these guys are super cool. They make cool music. You know, I was always a, a writer. And I was like, man, I wonder what I could write if I was high on weed, you know, and I tried it. And, you know, fortunately for me, because of um, the history of drug usage in my family, you know, it was super close to home. So I kind of saw what the effects were and I saw that... Um, this is, you know, because like like Steve said, you know, that's the gateway. Weed is the gateway, and it opens up the door, you know, the, the road to a bunch of other stuff. Um, for me, I think I was just smart enough or scared enough or whatever it was that deterred me. I was like, this just is, isn't, isn't for me. Um, but, you know, so many kids that I grew up with and so many of my friends who kind of started smoking weed and experimenting at that time have gone on to do a lot harder drugs. And it is is definitely a part of the culture. What did you see happening? You said you had members in your family that had issues with it. What does it do to a family? Oh, man, it tears the family apart. You know, um, my mom is 20 some odd years clean. Now. I probably should know right at the top of my head. 26 years, something like that. 25. Whatever. She's super clean. You know, kudos to my mom. She's my hero. <clears throat> but growing up, you know, during my high school years, with a, which are really, really impressionable years for me, um, I dealt with that right in the household, you know, with things missing and not being able to have X, Y, Z or, you know, saving up money to buy a CD only for it to be gone the next day. You know, so having things like that happen right in my life and right in my face, um, it made me feel like I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to be this person. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to because it's, it's like you could either sink or you could swim. And I was just like, I'm going to swim out of this whole situation and, and break this cycle. And the uh, Steve, in terms of, in terms of your family, you said your father was strict. He never suspected like you didn't come home smelling like weed or clothes. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think they always suspected it. I think with any family, you know, when, when somebody the denial you, thing. Yeah, when somebody you love is is hurting like that, or in the process of doing, or in, the, in the middle of doing something like that, it's hard to accept. Number one, um, and you know, if I'm lying straight to their face, you know, it's it's you, you almost you, you you denial. It's a complete denial of what's going on. Um, and it's hard. I can't imagine, like, if I had, I don't have kids, but, like, my mom, what she had to deal with, you know? She's torn between this drug addict that's living in her house and her son. So I think that's that's a hard pull back and forth for, for anybody. You know? No, totally. So so you, you started with weed, and then in your teens, you have your first, first uh, tab of ecstasy. Yeah. And then... When did you get into the coke and the heroin? It just, it just kind of rolled into it. It's 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 funny how it happened because I, I couldn't even tell you. I don't remember it. I remember I remember the first time I used but it. But you had to. I mean, you had to be doing something else to get the money for all this yeah, stuff, so right? Yeah. So I was I was actually so I started taking pills of ecstasy, going out to the club. I started selling pills, and we were uh, we had picked up a whole bunch of pills. We were counting them, and a friend had a bag of coke on them, and I started doing blow, and I and I loved it. I thought it was a great thing. I could stay up all night, count money, count this, count that. So I was in the game. I was in it, the thick of it. Um, and then from there, it just it turned into oxycodones and Vicodins and Percocets, which most people don't realize is actually synthesized heroin. If me and you, if I do a bag of heroin, you do oxycodone, and we go to the doctor, it comes up the same thing on a piss on a on a urine test. Really? Yeah. So it's pretty much the same exact thing. If anything, it's actually worse because it's not cut; it's pure. Um, and that turned into heroin because the pills can get expensive. And then how do people get the pills? Because this is an, this is a big thing, and we've we've seen this too with a lot of people. It's they're they're very convenient because you don't have to roll anything, you don't yeah. have to smoke anything. You, they're little, you can keep them in your pocket or your purse or your, or your bag. But how do they go from being le? I mean, because they start out legal, right, yeah. and then they become illegal. Tell me, tell me about. You know, My, how you get them? The first pill I ever got was uh, a friend of mine from his grandmother's uh, bathroom cupboard. And she had a, a prescription of Vicodins. And my friend gave me a pill, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I actually started using 
Vicodins to come off the cocaine. Which are things that, you know, a dentist can give you too, yeah. like if you have like a root exactly. canal or, yeah. or something like that. Um, and then you just, you start learning the ropes and you learn how to maneuver your way through the system and you can go to, I can go to a chiropractor, get an MRI done on my back, tell them I have back pain. Nothing will pop up because it's very difficult for them to see back pain. And then go to a doctor and say, hey, I can barely walk and they'll write me a prescription. I can get a prescription right now if I wanted to um, for, for Vicodins, Percocets, Oxycodone. You for know? nothing? Yeah, for nothing. And if then I have insurance, you, it won't cost me a penny. And then, you, and then you can turn around and sell? Sell them, yeah. So if you're getting a prescription with a copay, say you get 50 pills at you know a $10 copay, you can sell those pills on the street for 6 $7 a pop. So there's a massive profit in it as well. So a lot of people are having back issues and other... Yeah, yeah everybody's... <laughs> and other things going... Everybody's in pain. And, and, and other things pain. going yeah. out. And yeah. then and then people can be scamming like the healthcare system yeah, too to and get then, there. I mean, not as much now, but when it first started, like the government really didn't know what was going on. Right. So I had friends that were getting four or five prescription filled from five different doctors. So they were getting two, three, four hundred pills a month from you know five different doctors and just selling those pills. Yeah. And then and then they would just turn around, sell them, and then take some or whatever. Yeah, they would take some. Most most I would say the majority of heroin and pill dealers are selling to fund their habit. So they're funding their own habits. Just, just to fuel, expensive. just to pay for, just to pay for that. Yeah. Trey, were there any experiences that you had with your mom when she was in a in a bad way growing up that stuck with you, or um, that, you, that you really had to deal with? I think just the overall experience was was tough, you know, because again, at that age, you're kind of coming into your own, and you already got enough craziness happening with your body and your mind <clears throat> before, uh, you know. To, and then you add in the fact that you know your house is unstable, um, but you know, again, it's kind of seeing my mom come out of it and come through it, and you know, have a few master's degrees and 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 you know, all these different. Um, diplomas and things she did, you know, graduating college and, and becoming an educator and things like that. Um, it showed me that you can't overcome it. And it showed me that, you know, um, no matter what, where you start, you know, it's about where you want to take it. And, um, you know, I think that's something that the kids need to hear and they need to see. And um, experience is the best teacher. But if you can learn from someone else's experiences, that's even better. Um, you know, I think going back into the music, I think that a lot of these artists need to um, start to take responsibility for the content that they're putting out because, you know, you, you're looking at it as a business and it's a profitable business and you want to continue to remain profitable in this business. But you also have to think about the detriment that, you know, you, you that is coming at, you know, um, with, with the kids in the community starting to do drugs younger. Um, you know, like a record like Travis Scott Antidote where you might just be listening to the melody and just loving the tune and then, you know, seven, ten later listens later, you realize what he's talking about. You know, you're talking about doing drugs and don't open up the window and keep it all in here. Or, you know, the weekend, I only call you when I'm high and, you know, that's the real me. Um, and people just start to think that that's just cool. It's just a cool way to be. It's a cool state of mind. And it's normal, you know, and, and kids always want to fit in. You know, I don't think anybody wants to be an outcast. I don't think anybody, and adults as well, you know, nobody wants to be outcasted. So if that's the cool thing, if that's the, if that's the thing to do, to uh, to fit in, then you know they're gonna start to follow that trend. What about the lyrics? Because the the, the lyrics, like you said, you know, people may, the hook may get you at first or the beat, and then like a couple of listens, and you're like, wow, this is what it is. And then mm -hmm. you're checking out what the lyrics are. It's also hip hop has a much stronger impression on our youth and on our kids than yeah. pretty much any other media form. 
I think Why more so than, than their parents. You know, a guy will listen to Drake over his dad. You know, like I'm gonna listen to what Drake has to say, pops, and I'll you know I'll catch you up later. But um, <laughs> you know, um, and it's not just it's not just the kids. You know, I think off the uh, off air we were talking about um what happened at the BT Awards, the BT Hip Hop Awards, and I was there. I was in the auditorium when OT Genesis got up and started singing "I'm in Love with the Coco," and everybody stood up and started singing it like it was and an start an whipping anthem. it. And I I would you know, and it's a catchy song, so it's not a about, it's not about talking about you know the artists and, and their and their creativity and their expression because it's catchy and it's a cool melody and you can dance to it. But I think you can make the same type of song with the same type of impact with, with a different message. You know, with your with your experience with, with your mother, when you heard that song, did it strike a nerve in you? And you were kind of like going, "Wait a minute, yeah, this is a catchy song, but this." I mean, people seemed extra amped to be singing along with that. It was at least it was TV. it was so infectious. Like like I said, I sat there and um. You know, when he jumped up on stage, everybody was like, bacon soda, I got bacon soda. And I was like, that's not good, though. Yeah. That's not good. And it's not um, to make a birthday cake. Right, right. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants not to put it in, in the cooking, refrigerator but, and, right. you know, keep the refrigerator Exactly, full fresh. that's I know that, one, that um, part. <laughs> but, you know, again, it's just, um, it's just the fact that I think that the balance is what's missing. You know, balancing in everything is the key to life. So if you are going to put some music out there with that content, talk about the consequences as well. And I feel like that's what's kind of missing because if you glorify one thing and don't talk about, you know, the flip side of, of what happens, then you're only giving people half the story, and that's just unfair. And and, espe- and especially if, if you don't have a whole lot of life experience to draw from. Right. This is where we get our information from. I learned so much from hip hop music. You know, before I would open a book, sometimes I would pop a cassette tape in. You know, I learned about different uh, things that I use to this day, you know, things that were important. I didn't know what a decibel was until I heard Black Sheep say it on a song. You know, I didn't know about um, certain things with, you know, how to interact with females and do certain things until I heard it on a song, you know, and figured out how to play it out. But um, again, you learn so much of your behavior early on because you're still impressionable and you're still just kind of coming into your own from the music that you listen to. What about the um, the glamorization of it? Steve, that, yeah. does it bother you sometimes when you see the? It kind of does. I mean, if you look at, you see it, like look, these very, like very hot parties and yeah, it, you know, very it, it gorgeous looks awesome. women and it looks just amazing, on, back on the know? couch popping a pill. Drug, sex, rock and roll itself. Right. You know, um, I just I, I think you know hip hop. Hip hop's always been a voice for a generation. It started out as a voice for a generation. That's what it was about. Um, and whether that voice is negative or positive, that's that's on the people producing the music. And I think the, the glamorization shows this false, um, almost like a false uh, vision of what it actually is. Because, yeah, I did have the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I was in the club. I was with the girls. I was partying all night long. And it was great while it was happening. But the reality of it is the long-term effects are what people don't see. And when you're talking about young kids listening to hip-hop, I mean, like he said, you know, people are listening to Drake and taking, it, taking what his word is over their parents. Um, so I absolutely, I, it, it bothers me to hear songs like I'm in love with the Coco. Yeah, it's a catchy song and have I sang it? Absolutely. I've sat in the car and sang it by myself and whipped it myself and um, I think it's hilarious and I love it. But the, the reality is, like he said, there's got to be a balance. Like for my life, I make sure there's a balance. I have like an 80-20 rule where I, I love hip hop. You know, I grew up in the times of Method Man and Wu-Tang and, you know, and when Biggie came out, and that, that that's the hip hop I listen to. And I still listen to hip hop, but I, I keep it more of an 80-20. If, if, if music isn't edifying me, I, I kind of keep it at a 20% level in my life. I just make sure there's a balance between it. 
Wow. So you just keep. That's a, that's kind of a good rule. Yeah. So I, I like I said, I love I love music. I think I think we, everybody loves music. Music is it's natural for us to love, love music. When I wake up in the morning, I'm listening to music. When I work out, I listen to music. When I'm down and out because my girl broke up with me, I'm listening to music. So I think music goes with our emotions and music moves with whatever we're dealing with in our life. We can. I mean, anybody can listen to you know some love songs when they're struggling and they're sitting home crying. So if music can affect my soul in that way, how is music affecting my soul? Uh, in the way of the negative stuff. So if, if I'm listening to constant hip hop, I find myself driving different. I find myself speaking to people different. I'd find myself, uh, uh, you know, just interacting with the world in a different way because of music that's been feeding my soul. So different different beats affect you too, not just the content. No, the, the, it's not really the beats. I think it's more, it, it it's a little bit of both. You know, the, the beats can affect you. It's just like anything. If you're listening to, you know, hardcore house music when you're working out, you're going to want to run a marathon where if you, you can, you're not going to listen to Billy Joel while you're working out. It just doesn't work. Um, but it's, it's what you listen to. I, I really believe this concept of garbage in, garbage out. So if I'm listening to garbage, I'm going to project garbage. And I just re refuse to do that. I've lived my whole life in garbage and I refuse to do that now. And, you know, if, if that means I'm going to listen to less of the music that I enjoy, um, to make my soul better, I don't have a problem doing that. Wow. All right, so uh, we're talking about the whole issue of drugs. Um, some people are calling it a hip-hop high, more more drug use, drug talk, especially drug talk and lyrics in hip-hop. Is it having a negative effect in our communities as we're seeing a growing number, a growing quantity of drugs, the, the coke, a lot more coke than has been around for a while, uh, pills and other substances that are out there, and we're talking about it with our guests with Teray and with Steve DeGrosa. I'm Lisa Evers, your host. You're listening to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. Follow me on Twitter. Put your comments there. At, tw at Lisa Evers on Twitter. My Instagram page, at Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. If you're just tuning in, or if you want to check out one of our previous shows, you can go on SoundCloud, Lisa Evers Street Soldiers, or even easier, you can just go to lisaevers.com and just click the little tab and you can hear any of the uh, Street Soldiers shows from the last couple years right there free of charge on the podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, post your comments there, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers. And what we're focusing on in this episode is this whole connection between hip hop and drugs. A lot of the lyrics, a lot of the artists that are out right now, those lyrics are there, whether it's Coke, whether it's pills, um, whatever, lean, whatever they're talking about, a lot of it has to do with drugs. And there's concerns that uh, it could be having an adverse effect on especially our youth. Joining us in studio is Teray, rap artist and host of Sirius XM's tour guide on hip, the Hip Hop Nation channel. He's also the new official voice of the Brooklyn Nets. We love that. Yeah. Shout out to Brooklyn. Coney Allen, what's up? And uh, congratulations on it. Also joining us is Steve DeGrosa. His website is stevedegrosa.com. He was a pill, cocaine, and heroin addict for almost half his life from the age of 14 to 30, and he's now been clean for four years. He's he's telling us about the unglamorous side. You were talking about the, you know, the, the images that are, the, the visual images, because one of the, I mean, hip hop is great as the storytelling, you know, for its storytelling, to right? And so the, those images are very, very powerful. Absolutely. But, but do the images, do, are we, we not showing what, what Steve said was the consequences? Is that a problem? Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, it's just one side of the picture. And if you're only giving one side of the picture, that's all that's all the information that people have to process and utilize. Um, and it doesn't show. You know, one thing I liked about um, Eminem, who, who's very open about his drug usage, is that he talked about the lows, you know, being one of the top-selling artists and, and feeling as low as he's ever been. 
um, having all of this money, but, you know, in his soul, he didn't feel right um, because of his drug usage. So I love the fact that he's always open and, and honest about it. Um, Joe Button is another one, you know, artist who, who talks about his, his drug usage and the struggles they ha- that they have with addiction. Um, and I feel like those voices need to be heard more, you know, and I feel like those stories need to be told more because, again, um, not only the kids, but the adults, you know, if that's all you're seeing, if that's all that's being glamorized, that's kind of what you're going to aspire to and, and what you're going to think is the norm and what you're th- going to think is cool. And then that's what you're going to end up doing. And so so if you're at a party or you're at an event or whatever and somebody's like, oh, here's a, you know, here's a pill or take this or whatever. There's less of that resistance because it's in it's around. I mean, why would you not do it? It's the song that's playing in the background is it. It's what you see. It's what you, you know. And, um, again, a lot of people, you know, addiction is a disease, just like any other disease. Um, and you may not know that you have it until you're faced with that, until you start to do the drugs and you realize you can't stop or get off of it or whatever. And it's because it's probably something that's been going on in your family or in your bloodline for years. And you're not knowing it. And that's how, you know, somebody who can go from a casual user to a hardcore addict just like that. And as somebody that's part, like, like such an integral part of the hip hop culture, do you feel it's come under a lot of criticism for the content, just not with the drugs, of course, the images of women, but especially also with the, you know, with the guns, right? with, with the, the whole gunplay, with everything that we see still persisting in so many of our communities around the country. So do you feel that's fair, fair criticism? You know, I mean, music as a whole is a form of entertainment. Um, I feel like people hold music to a higher standard because um, you, you're more passionate about it. You know, like Steve said earlier, it's kind of like the soundtrack to your life. No matter what you're going to the, through, there's some music that can kind of fit that mood. Um, and people don't maybe hold a movie or a television show to that same regard because they know that that's a form of entertainment. But so is music. So as an artist, I never want to alienate artists. So I never want to say that, you know, um, these guys are a responsible for for society's ills because what you're doing is really telling the story and sometimes you're just reporting what's going on in the world i feel like the bigger issue is that that's all you're getting you know it's nothing wrong with talking about partying and having fun we all party i'm sure everybody in this room has been to a party had fun maybe had a drink before but you know you have to talk about the other side you have to talk about the balance and some of the artists who may be bringing some of those things to the table aren't getting that same airplay, don't have an equal playing field. So when you turn on the radio, you know, be it hot or be it Sirius XM, and all you're hearing is one type of thing on the radio, you know, I think that the the powers that be are actually controlling what's going out there, what's being put on the airwaves, and some of the artists that, you know, may have a, a bigger or a better message or a more conscious me- message aren't being heard, you know, the same way that another song might be playing a hundred times a day. Definitely. Steve, do you think that repeatability has an issue is an issue? Yeah, I, I, I really, I really, the whole desensitizing thing, I think, is is really huge because it's just like anything. I mean, even even if you go back and you look at horror movies, for instance, like horror movies today are not as scary and not as um, overwhelming. And I don't think it's because the production has gone bad. I think the production's actually gotten better. I think it's just as 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 a society, we've just gotten used to certain things. We've gotten used to people getting their head blown off. We've gotten used to people sniffing cocaine in the club and shooting needles in the street. I mean, this is stuff I see every day. I walk by in my apartment complex and I saw a full bag of cocaine on the floor. Yesterday, this was yesterday morning. So like that stuff is becoming a norm where if you go back 20 years ago, even though it was the the, the music may have been the same and the, the what the media was portraying may have been the same, I think we've just as a society gotten very desensitized where you talk about drugs 20 years ago 
and it was taboo and nobody really talked about it where now it's out in the open everybody's talking about it and it's become the new norm to get high and go out and party and, be, and, be, and to be cool yeah to, to totally be cool it attaches to I mean people look up to hip-hop artists and actors and actresses and it attaches themselves it's the glamorous yeah, lifestyle you see the way they're rolling you know if I'm watching Lil Wayne and I'm watching him on on a show where they're showing his cars and his and his and his house and stuff like that and he's smoking weed and taking pills he's making pill drinks you know and stuff like that I think that's awesome because I want to be associated with the glamour of it and the success of Lil Wayne when the reality I'm for, number one I don't have Lil Wayne's money so I'll never <laughs> have that house uh, but the reality of it is like what is Lil Wayne dealing with or what is another artist dealing with that's making him do those drugs it just I just think that we're not looking at the bigger picture we're focusing on you know um, on the glamour side of it but the bigger picture is I don't, I don't think drug use nobody nobody's born and says oh yeah i'm gonna use drugs because it's cool i think it's just become the norm of part of this culture of uh of self this culture of how cool can i be how how much can i floss what can i show i mean you, you know you don't want you don't want to be portrayed in that in, in in a sense of where everything everything you're watching is portraying this royalty kind of lifestyle and they're getting high where, and then you have, you know, a kid whose mom is making $14 an hour trying to portray that same thing. It don't, it just doesn't and work. The only, and the only part of it that he can partake in is the drugs. Yeah, it just doesn't work. The only work. part that he can afford is, is, is yeah. the drugs. What about, Tori, what about the, uh, you know, the, the hip hop too, and we talk about, yeah, drug drugs have been around in, in hip hop lyrics since the beginning, but there's also the saturation factor now. Yeah. It's like people, you know, videos are everywhere, videos are on our phone, the songs are, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to, to listen to music, it's right. not just, I mean, radio is now just one option. Absolutely, you know, outside of the, the radio program, and like you said, you know, people have access to everything on their phone. You know, I mean, I remember I would have to sit around and wait, you know, maybe an hour or two before a song came back around, or have to wait until later in the night for a mix show to hit a certain type of record. Whereas now, you know, I'm driving my kids to school in the morning, I can't even turn on the radio, because that's just not the type of uh, day, the day I want to start their day like that, you know. Um, so we'll ride around just to silence, or, you know, sports radio, or something like that, because um, you kind of, you, it's called programming for a reason. You know, you program in the minds, you programming the thoughts, wow. you're programming the you know the activities. Um, and again, you know, as as far as the music and and music and lyrics being from the not the beginning of the time, but definitely you know some of the stuff that we listen to coming up. You know, myself and Steve, and, and maybe some other people in the room. Um, I feel like there was more balance again. You know, there was there was still a Native Tongues movement. There was still you know a Tribe Called Quest you could hear. There was still um, maybe a Public Enemy you could hear. Whereas now you just don't have those options um, in in the mainstream side. You know, you have to go out and seek it out. And some people aren't even willing to go do but that. But people people point to they'll point to Kendrick. They'll point to J Cole. They'll say, right. well, yeah, there's that's two out of you know because the fact that you can just name two artists like that. And then that's it. I mean, wait, 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 who's the third? Who's the fourth? But Chance is not a, a radio artist. You know, he's not a guy that you'll hear. And then Chance, you know, I mean, I think Acid Rap was probably his biggest tape where, again, it was a talk about, you know, it was the drug talk on there. And, so. it, and is that what, may, yeah, is it the subject matter that makes the song hot too? Is that important? Like if you had a really, if you had an artist that had a really hot beat and, and was re a really good rapper, but the subject matter was about like, <laughs> educating yourself right or something or uplifting your community or I mean, doing something positive artists. in your community do you think that would be do you think that could ever be like you know the, the song that's played at the BET awards hip hop I think awards two two um or at least one of the bigger artists of the last few years was uh Lecrae 
who yes. wasn't a big radio artist. You know, has a huge following, sells a bunch of records. Um, he had that one bit. We had he had the big hit that we had played. Right. A lot. They had, yeah. yeah. We had he had one record. You know, from a few albums. But I think if you stop anybody on the street and you ask them about you know saying I'm in love with the Coco as opposed to a Lecrae song, you know, I feel like people definitely know more of the the negative the stuff. The Coco, yeah, yeah, definitely more, no, more the Coco. You know, um, and and again, I think it goes on to bigger and bigger than just the artists making music because at the end of the day, my take on it is if you're a kid maybe coming from um you know in the city or, or more humble beginnings you want to get out of that you want to be an aspiring artist you want to do music you're going to turn on the radio you're going to hear what they playing on the radio and you're going to want to be on the radio so um even if it's not what you think you should be putting out um you're going to start to follow that trend you're like listen i need to be on the radio so i can get to this money so i can get out of this hood and you're going to start making those songs that feel like what you're already hearing and that's why so many guys who come out are coming out you know kind of talking about the same things and glamorizing the same things because they feel like that's their only way. Does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because you you, you talk about the word programming, which that was pretty deep because that was the first time I really thought of it like that. But the, you know, like people that are very successful, like successful athletes, for example, they have certain mental mantras that they go through if they're going up to bat, Mm -hmm. you know, in a game or they're they're going out on the football field. They have certain things, certain ways they program their mind. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to get the hit. I'm going to get the touchdown. I'm going to, I'm going to get a home run. I'm going to hit hard. Whatever, whatever is the thing that they do. Do you think that these, these drug use songs are, it's just, it's just becoming this kind of feeding frenzy and it just keeps churning and churning and churning and like which came first the chicken or the egg yeah yeah i mean that's a that's a really good point um i think that again when you when you're trying to be in a certain place and you want to get to a certain status and and you're looking at the artists that you want to emulate and if that's what they're putting out that's kind of what you're going to follow you know i don't think a lot of people have the option to come in and just stand on their own two feet and do exactly what they want to do if they're trying to get into this business because you know you're like well i could try this route which isn't really successful or we haven't been hearing a lot of artists that talk about these type of things or i could kind of follow the trend you know and for for lack of a better term, a lot of people are sheep. They just follow along what's going on. What do you think about that, Steve? I, I, I 100% agree. I mean, like artists like Lecrae, um, Andy Mineo, um, hip hop artists, they're actually they're actually categorized in, in the Christian world as Christian artists. And I think Lecrae's actually detached himself from that a little bit. Um, but I, I think what they're rapping about, and, and their talents are just as good as anybody out there. Um, but what they're rapping about is just the reality of you know your soul and, and edifying and just lifting up a culture. Um, I love Lecrae. I, it's one of one of the, one of the few hip hop artists that I really listen to on a regular basis is Lecrae because his music doesn't make me feel like I need to run my car off a road, <laughs> you know, um, or risk doing a five to ten. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just it's it's you know, I mean. I, I, I think it just in general, it's it just goes with anything. Any career that you're in, any career path that you're looking for, you're gonna try to dress, talk, and act like the people that you look up to. So you know, growing up in the '80s and the '90s, if I wanted to be a ball player, who was I looking to? I was looking to Jordan. That was my thing. So I wore the Jordans. I I, I stuck my tongue out when I was playing ball. Like you just you try to emulate the person that you look up to. So who we who who's representing this culture today, and who are the mentors that these kids are looking up to? And they're looking up to people that are not. You know, doing good stuff for the community necessarily, as far as their, um, you know, their public public uh, is can see, but they're looking they're looking up to people that are doing you know crazy stuff on, on video. So that's just what they're seeing. So this is what they're gonna do. 
you know so but isn't I, that our culture too it's like what now because everything is visual too it's like the crazy stuff is the stuff that gets the attention yeah it's it's what sells i mean that's that's the media sex drugs rock and roll you know i always go that's what sells you know if, if and I now get it's up, sex drugs hip-hop yeah but rock and roll. Hip-hop's got such a, such a huge voice in this culture and in, in young adults and, and, and teens. Such a huge voice to the point of I don't think young kids listen to anything else but hip-hop. I mean, hip-hop started when I was, you can only listen to hip-hop on Hot 97, and now it's on every station, and it's on, you know, in every video. Satellite know. radio. You know, you have it everywhere, so it's got such I mean, such they a, use it to sell products, yeah, you know. Exactly. I mean, hip-hop, some people didn't want to be associated with hip-hop, and now hip-hop is selling Sprite, it's selling McDonald's, yeah. it's, you know, every brand is, is attached to hip-hop in some form. Um, you know, and again, I don't think it's, I don't think it's only about hip-hop. You know, as a, as a father of a, of a daughter who's 13, she'll be 14, um, you know, she listens to other music, she's not a big big hip-hop head fun, funny enough um really yeah she listens to other music and again i think it's about what what you try to um instill in your kids um and not letting the radio raise them and not letting the television raise them and you know kind of monitoring what they do it definitely plays a part you know once they once they go out into the world they still are going to be you know attacked Exposed. by all the, yeah the elements that are out there um, but you got to kind of give them a, a strong launching pad and a, and a solid foundation and, and pray for the best, you know, because at the end of the day, everybody's going to make their own decisions. You can't you can't police your kids. You can't be there with them 24 seven. So you have to try to just give them as much information as you can. You know, I try not to shield my kids from the realities of the world, you know, because. Um, they didn't grow up as hard as I did. They didn't grow up, you know, maybe in the projects like I did with some of the circumstances that I did. And so I don't want them to be naive to these things, you know, because that's that's um, a pitfall in itself. Exactly. Not knowing what to look out for, not knowing what type of people out there, knowing that everybody isn't your friend that has your best interest at heart. Um, and again, you know, most of us listen to music and most of us um, just like to listen to music and, and, and it, it, it fills this void in us and it, it definitely is the soundtrack to what's going on with us. Um, but I feel like we need to have some more positive things going on and coming out from the artists and artists need to take more responsibility you know don't just say well listen I'm not a role model and that's not my job to teach or raise your kids um you know the type of power that you have you know and it's, it's all of our responsibilities when we crack these microphones to try to put something out there that's going to uplift and raise up and build a community and not just tear it down exactly and, and speaking of artists we're just joined right now by Nico good morning uh, good morning how are how you how are you I'm doing well how's everyone doing good thank you for being with us we appreciate it thank you so much now, now, Nico, your album is called Zanland. Yes. Okay, and you also roll with Wiz Khalifa with the Taylor Gang. Yeah, that's my bro. All right. Now, tell us about the your experience. You're, you're calling it Zanland after Xanax, right? Yes. Tell us about your experience with drugs. Um, it really came from like anxiety, and uh, I didn't really didn't know what it was at the time. Like I used to just like before a lot of performances, I would feel kind of like anxious or weird, and it would kind of like actually distract my performance in some cases. So one day, like like an artist just gave me one, like yo, try this, and it was like the best show I ever had in my life. And then it just became like a spill, like where it was just like always, and I was making music off of it, and it was like. Uh, basically changing the format of the technique and the way I made music and I, I was realizing that and I would never do it just on a regular it would be okay I'm going to the studio and I'm going to do this and it just made like this euphoric amount of music like I had 40 songs in probably like two weeks and that's it, incredible yeah and it was like I was just working with all of these different artists and and they were into the same thing 
you know, so into the Xanax. Yeah. So when I would have them, they would be like, "Okay, you have that." And it's like, yeah, and it's like on my album I'm working on, it's called Xanland. And they're like, wow. Then when I would play them the music, it's not just like Xanax, Xanax, take this, take this. It's actually like a substance abuse project. It's actually the trials and tribulations of why you shouldn't, you know, cross that path. Like, like Yeah, but you see now what you're saying to me right now, I'm a little confused because right. you say on the one hand, wow, I took it and I wrote 40 yeah. songs in two weeks, which I think is but like It might not super be that fast. worth it always because there are side effects. There are like being depressed or being down when, you know, like you don't want to be down, but you're just down. Like there are side effects of it that, yeah, you may have 40 songs, but is that really worth your life? You know? But like, what, how would you feel afterwards? Um, just really just it's, it's really a confidence thing it's like uh it makes your, your confidence like beyond like like superior like it makes just it makes you feel like you can just do you actually will do anything it's, it can it can be dangerous and it could be you it makes your lack of inhibitions like your inhibitions go down just like, go right out the yeah. way steve you're shaking your head and guys yeah. please feel yeah. free to jump in steve you're shaking your head with that yeah, I, i'm kind of laughing a little bit because my first experience with the vicodins and the percocets and the yeah and the xanax Actually, I was working and I had realized that I could work better with the drugs. Yes. And it was this weird, like, oh, I could just do this every morning and actually make more money yeah. and chase the dream. And I started chasing the dream. And I, and I think as much as that sounds amazing, hey, he wrote 40 songs you know, in two weeks because of the drug. It's, yeah. it's what, it, what does it look like five years down the road, 10 yeah. years down the road? And now all of a sudden, you're no longer taking the drug to make music or to sell music or to whatever you're doing. You're taking the drug to be normal. Mm-hmm. And and it was it, no it wasn't about working anymore. It was just I was more normal on the drugs than I was off the drugs, and you just become completely dependent. It, it consumes your entire life. What happened? So what happened to you, Nico? I really just like gotten to the point where I just started noticing like the music was great, and I just didn't like the fact of like not remembering things and people telling me stuff like yo we did this yesterday or like spending money. And like noticing like, yo, I brought all this clothes yesterday and I brought all you guys clothes and I caught four Ubers yesterday and you have no clue you did that, but you did it and you were confident in doing it. But when you look at what you accomplished, it might've been like, okay, I did this music yesterday. I shot a video yesterday, but you have no clue you did it. It's a gap of your life that's missing. Like you totally don't remember yeah, anything. Like, yeah. So this this is like way beyond when people have too much to drink and it's like it's next like morning you play bring pill. back the night. This is like <laughs> it, it bring kinda, back my life. Yeah. Right. Yes. You kind of you're you're functioning, but you're not there. Yeah. So externally everything's moving normally, so th- but you have no idea what's going on internally. Yeah. So yeah. did you get bid? Did, did so you found bills like you're, you're like credit card bills or, oh, or whatever? No, just like receipts or just like people telling me like conversations that we've had. Like, like wow, dude, like, thanks for that. You said, uh, yeah. Like five hundred dollar coat. We were talking about this last night or I've, I've I've agreed to do things or it might make you passive have you have you ever felt passive Steve like maybe if somebody asks you to do something that you or like you know say somebody says like we're gonna walk to Canal Street from here you just do do it yeah you do you it. don't think like that's crazy no let's get you a do it you say okay let's go you say let's go and you do it with full confidence that so you could be you could be manipulated yes. or you could be influenced yeah easily yeah how yep. bad did it get for you, Nico? It got bad. Like I was getting into trouble. Like, 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 just like, like it makes you sometimes angry and aggressive too. Like it can make you aggressive. Like it's all about how, how, how you use it or what's said to you. Like sometimes I could be like, you could probably disrespect me and it would like fly over my head because 
like the substance, the Xanax, it just has me so like zoned I, out. Yeah, but then maybe if I catch what you said, I might react way worse than normal. So it can have like a and I you like it's like a blackout. But if when you're using it, for me it just I don't write music at all. Like I don't use an iPhone or write it in paper. So it's just like just slows all like I could just see like a paragraph for some reason and I'll just rap it, rap it, sing it, rap it, sing it. And it lasts for like seven, ten hours. And when I'm done, the engineer is like, "Yo, we got eleven songs, and 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 they're they're like done. Intro, outro, chorus, bridge, singing, melodies. And it's like I did that. And it's like, yeah, you did that. But it's not really worth it when you think about the damage to your body. And do you still use it? Um, last time I've used it was like three months ago like I've just been trying to fly straight because I, I went through it I, I I actually went through the process I was able to make it through it without having to go to like counseling or anything I just realized like alright enough is enough and like Wiz is really getting on my case too because like you know he's he's not about that you know what I'm saying so like that's my bro so like he was really getting on my case like yo you're wilding you're, you're bugging out like you're tweeting pictures of these pills and these kids they're starting to buy them and then they're tweeting me the pictures like look and then i'm tweeting them back like stop and they're like yo i got it from you so then that's when i was like all right this i haven't even put xanland out yet because of that wow St steve what advice do you have for him at this point you're, you're hearing something and it yeah, looks like it's just, just bothering you, know, you a little you're, bit you're, you're like in a pivotal spot you know yeah. three months three months clean is massive for somebody who's been using drugs for a long time three months clean is yeah. massive and I think it comes down to community and the people you're putting yourself around. For me, for me, it was a church. Like I walked into church, saved my life. Yeah, me um, too. I'm my really, mom, church. Yeah, I believe wholeheartedly. Like God saved my life walking into a church in New York City, um, and it was it was a church is a is just a fancy word for community. And I put myself around people that are constantly lifting me up, constantly making me better. People that are better than me, that have been doing this longer than me. Yeah. And whether or not they were drug addicts in the past or not means nothing. It's just about people you're around. So you that know, hold you accountable. That hold me accountable. And you know, for me, it's a little bit easier. I, I, I work for a church, so it's easy to be around people that are not getting high. Yeah. Um, you know, in your game, you know, what you're doing in your sphere of life. I know there's there's people around, and you're around the game and around yeah, the, the culture. Yeah, we have to set ground rules now. It's, so I I would I would encourage you, like, if you're in a studio and somebody's pulling out pills, walk out. Oh yeah, we. We don't even allow now it's really it's yeah. really serious now like i went from having like a zan sitter like i used to call my friend that like yo this is my zan sitter like my friend like he's a model but he would like watch over me like make sure no one took advantage of me or make sure i didn't spend my money like, like somebody that would just watch me all day <laughs> and would tell me the next day this is what happened now i have people that just yeah. don't allow it to happen at all like there's no Xanax coming around or anything or, or like that. Or nothing like yeah. that. Well, we're, we're glad to hear that, and yeah, we'll, ho you. we'll hope you come back again. Up, we really, we really do Always. for this discussion. But I, but I want to thank uh, artist Nico, yes, Steve DeGrosa. His website is uh, stevedegrosa.com, and the new official voice of the Brooklyn Nets, yeah. rap artist, Sirius XM host for the tour guide on Hip Hop Nation on the Hip Hop Nation channel, the one and only Toure. Thank you so much for being with thank us. You. Thank you for having me. Great to meet you guys and have yes, a sir, conversation. Great to meet you both. Nico, keep, you know, stay, stay on it, man. I'm going to stay on it, man. Staying blessed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, we'll continue the discussion on Twitter, at Lisa Evers. And uh, you can post your comments there and on my Instagram page, at Lisa Evers. And also a special shout out to our, our neighbors, Manicube. Thank you for helping us make this show possible every single week. And uh, I want to thank my whole crew here at Hot 97, executive producer Tone Capone. My associate producer, Rose D. Assistant producer, Mia Bell. Our technical director, the one and only DJ Mike Medium. Michael Medium here. 
on Twitter at Michael Medium. You can check him out. And of course, our digital assistant, TJ. If you're looking for a podcast of the show, if you're just tuning in, you want to hear it again, it's on lisaevers.com. Follow me on Twitter. I'll be posting it on my uh, Twitter account later today at Lisa Evers. And uh, remember, use your mind, it's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace.